everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Thrive Infertility Podcast. This is your host, Kathy Quillett, CEO of Tennessee Reproductive Therapy and the Quillett Institute. Welcome back to another another episode, another Monday. If you're one of the regulars who picks this up on a Monday, I certainly appreciate you allowing me into these spaces of your life. Um, Today, what I want to talk about has been something that has been on me and I've been burdened by so much so that last week I just felt like I couldn't even touch it with a 10 foot pole for some reason, hence my absence. But what I want to talk about today is the word trauma and the word trauma is coming up a lot in this world right now. And I guess what I want to talk about is, is the parallel between the trauma of infertility. And I'm going to revisit why we call it a trauma in a minute, but also the trauma of the world that we're dealing with right now. There's so many spaces and places in these, in this world today that are hard, right? Before I press record, I just opened Facebook really hard. And I saw that there's more Marines dead. I saw more people whose loved ones are infected with COVID who are on ventilators or whose places of work are shut down. Not too far from here, and I'm in the Nashville area, we lost 20 residents of Middle Tennessee to a huge flood last week, and the world is just hard. My brother is a firefighter in California, and he is constantly on alert to see when he's going to go out on a rig to fight the wildfires out there. There is trauma everywhere. And so I just, as women... And maybe the men who are listening to just as women, I want us to pause and I want us to just be frank about the weight of the world. I've talked to clients, you know, I'm checking in with every client right now that I, that I sit with and just asking, how are you experiencing the world right now? And the weight of that is profound. Recently, I've, I've talked to several clients who are like, there are women and children dying because of their gender, because of their youth in Afghanistan. We talk about women's rights and listen, here's what I'm going to say. This is going to be the farthest thing from political. Okay. But we talk about women's rights and how we're trying to fight for IVF treatment to get paid for. And we're trying to fight for our reproductive rights. And there are women dying because of their gender because a group of men was taught that they have no value. And we're trying to categorize this in, the, in our brain in a way that's supposed to not be hard. And at the end of the day, it's just hard. There's suffering in our world. Long pause on purpose, because I'm just trying to wrap my head around all the pain. And as an empath, I can't, but as an empath also, I feel it. Let's just talk about, we've, I've done a podcast on here before. I talk about it all the time, but I just want to talk about this idea again of the word trauma that we deal with in the middle of infertility. Let's go back to the beginning. This whole idea coming out of the book called Reproductive Trauma by Martha O'Diamond and Dr. Janet Jaffe. In fact, they're both doctors. Um, 
is that we kind of build this reproductive narrative from when we're really young. And this reproductive narrative is something that we are starting to write our gender through. Okay. So as a young girl, I watched my mom. Who did you watch? Did you watch a babysitter? I know that I did. I've confessed in this space before that my name is now spelled C-A-T-H-I-E, but was once upon a time spelled C-A-T-H-Y because, well, that's, I'm legally Catherine. Okay. But Kathy was uh, how my parents chose to abbreviate it, but I had a babysitter named Krista and she had six letters in her name. And so I too, as I watched her and felt, I wanted to, I felt like I wanted to aspire to be more like her. And in second grade, I decided that I was going to change my name to C-A-T-H-I-E so that I could have six letters in my name, just like Krista. Who were you watching? Were you sitting on the tool bench with your dad? Did you watch your grandpa fix up his old Ford? Were you at the bakery with your mom? Is she, or in the kitchen, is she tossed flour around? In fact, just an hour ago, I was baking a loaf of bread and I spilled flour everywhere, just like my mama always did. And I knew that when my husband came around the corner and he looked at me, I got that face where I know inside of me, he was saying, come on, Sandy, which is my mom, because we pick up behaviors and habits from those whom we watch when we're little. Our reproductive narrative continues to grow as we get older and we start to take on other roles that might be a little bit more like those who we've been modeling. For example, maybe you become a soccer referee or maybe you're a camp counselor or maybe you're a babysitter or maybe you volunteer in the church nursery. We start dating a little bit more and we start to ask the question, do you want children? If you don't, if the other person doesn't want children and you want a quiverful, that's grounds for dismissal, right? But if the other person says, yeah, I want two kids and I want two kids. And it's like, okay, we just went past a super huge hurdle. Okay. So then we start forming this reproductive narrative a little bit more solid when we start dating the person that maybe we want to spend happily ever after with. And our reproductive narrative becomes something that we write with them. For example, my husband, Tyler, and I both decided that we were going to have two, maybe three kids, and we were going to wait two years to do so. We were both from three children households, and so three felt right, but we only wanted to pay for two to go to college. And so two with room for an oopsie is something that, that back in the days when you think everybody has the right to, you know, have a child is kind of what we thought we were aiming for. And so for, you know, depending on the statistic that you buy into, whether it's one in six people with struggle with infertility or one in eight, there are discrepancies in that information, uh, depending on the research that you look at, but let's just go with the one in eight for now, because I think that one's the most familiar to people. For seven in eight people, the reproductive narrative comes true. They have their baby and then they have their other baby. They might have to wait a couple months. They might have a couple hiccups. Maybe they have an early miscarriage, not to minimize any of those experiences, but then they have a baby for 
one in eight of us who infertility or pregnancy loss comes into our situation, we have what people now call a reproductive trauma. Okay. Now, when we look at trauma, we look at the impact at diagnosis. Okay. The impact at diagnosis has been likened to, uh, in research, it's been likened to a cancer diagnosis, a chronic illness diagnosis, or an HIV diagnosis. Those who struggle with infertility that receive a brain scan in some research studies have shown that the or the brain scans of people in infertility mimic those of people who are struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. When we look at post-traumatic stress disorder, we look at uh, hypervigilance. We're always waiting for something wrong to happen. We look at low concentration. We look at anxiety and irritability. We look at crying, right? We look at a difficulty engaging in the world around us that previously felt safe and it no longer does. There's this trauma response that many of us, myself included in my own experience, many of my clients and many of you experience where you're so consumed by what day it's on, how to move forward in fertility, getting the, the clinic to call you back, feeling isolated because people in your life are celebrating other people who are pregnant or whatever. And we feel traumatized. Now, a lot of us have that moment in time. That's kind of like a BCAD moment. I've said that before to a lot of people like BCAD, what's that acronym mean? BCAD. I'm just talking about the zero marker in time before Christ after death. Okay. So it kind of is the moment that life goes off its axis. I had two. The first of it was when I woke up from surgery and I found out that I had endometriosis everywhere and childbearing might have been difficult for me. Life got hard in that moment. We were still innocent and naive to what all the implications meant, but I knew things changed. The other moment for me was in the, at the, at the kind of the end of my first pregnancy, I hadn't lost it yet, but when the really cold and calloused ultrasound tech said to us, I'm sorry, I don't see a heartbeat. Those are my moments when life fell off its axis and things became hard. And the word trauma kind of sunk into the innermost fibers of my life. Now, don't go to your partner or to your doctor or whatever and say, some chick on a podcast diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm not doing that. Okay. The number one specifier for post-traumatic stress disorder is that you live through a near-death experience, watch somebody else do it, or you watch somebody else die. Okay. But the reason I bring this up is because we're all kind of doing that on the news, aren't we? So we're walking around in the middle of our own trauma and infertility. We feel kind of frayed in life. We feel overwhelmed. We feel burdened. We feel like we don't fit socially in our marriage, in our family of origins, or in our bodies. Our definition of who we are as women feels compromised. We have to, sex feels obligatory and we're apathetic towards it. So many things that as young married couples, we wish to avoid. Okay. That can be what we would refer to as a primary trauma. Now, 
go back to 9-11. Okay. I was in college. Some of you probably were wee little youngsters. Okay. But 9-11, we felt like a general trauma to America. All of us felt impacted by it. Now, there are people who felt a primary trauma. You were there, your loved one died, you were a first responder, like you were in New York City, or you were closely connected to somebody who was there. Your grief on, on a really primary level connected, it, connected you to the event. And then there are the rest of us who had what I'll call a secondary trauma. Now, I didn't make that up, but for this illustration, I'm calling it a secondary trauma, okay? Where we felt traumatized by our core because our fellow Americans, fellow humans were being hurt, okay? Now, look at COVID. There are several of us who have not, myself included, I had COVID once, but I have been super fortunate enough that I have not lost anybody close to me or struggled in the hospital with anybody close to me with COVID. I cannot say that COVID was a primary trauma to me. Has it been traumatizing to a lot of us in my same shoes because we haven't lost anybody, but our world's changed? Absolutely. But I'll call that a secondary trauma. Where those of you who, unfortunately, I know a lot of people who have lost somebody, who my best friend lost her father-in-law. I didn't know him. She gets the trauma. I get the secondary trauma. Okay. So we're walking around a lot of us in the middle of infertility and we're feeling like we're already in our own trauma. And then you pick up the news or you go to social media, or you just think about a circumstance a minute outside of yourself and you see COVID, you see floods, you see fires, you see Afghanistan, you see a general mistrust in the world that a year ago, two years ago, <laughs> two weeks ago, felt a little bit more trustworthy. And now we have the Delta variant and Jesus, take the wheel. I'm not going to sing that for you, but I wish I could. Okay. And so I'm saying all this and you're like, wow, Kathy, you're depressing. What I'm, I want to do is validate your heart space. If you're feeling the weight of anything in this world right now, you get to feel that way. This world is so heavy, y'all. It's so heavy. But here's what I want to say to you, experiencing as many primary or secondary traumas that you can just lift up right now, right? If we were sitting in a room and I said, how many of you feel the weight of trauma right now? Most of you would raise your hands. Some of you would say, the world has gotten so hard, I've stopped paying attention to the news. I know a lot of people in your same shoes and that's great. The world is hard. A lot of us feel the trauma. How do we react? How do we react? That's, that's the whole point here is how do we react? For those of you who are still allowing yourself to be inundated with news and social media, I might say caution yourself for two reasons. The information coming out is hard. Secondarily, infertility makes us feel ostracized from a lot of people. Right. 
we look at social media and think, look at them and their cute baby, look at them and their great circumstance, look at them. And, you know, we started trying at the same time and their kid just went off to preschool. There are a lot of those, but there's also a lot of divisive opinions. I have done lots of stuff on social media for business over the years. And right now I don't even want to touch it with a 10 foot pole because I have to get on there for a minute and engage. And it just doesn't feel great to be in that space. So if you need to time out, hide a couple people, temporary unfollow a couple people or mute them or whatever you can do in the platform that you use, do it. So it feels like a safer space. There's a lot of evidence around trauma work pointing to the profound impact that yoga and meditation or what all I can add is prayer feels like. When we experience trauma, we feel kind of not in tune with our body. We feel like strangers in it because trauma impacts our body greatly. Our brain and our body react as if we're constantly in a state of fight or flight. What helps us get out of that is deep diaphragmatic breaths, guided visual relaxation, meditation, and yoga. I don't know how well you respond to those things. Some people are like, I have a really hard time turning off my, my brain. Okay. We call it a practice of yoga. We call it a practice of meditation for a reason. I had a client once who started the practice daily and he was like, I did it this week. I'm like, great. How long? 10 seconds. It doesn't feel like a long time. Doctor, I actually don't know if he's a doctor. John Kabat-Zinn, I've mentioned it on here is kind of the father of modern uh, mindfulness. And he says that mindfulness is paying attention in the present moment on purpose in doing so non-judgmentally. And so maybe for you, it's sitting down at a red light in between calls at the office, in the waiting room of the clinic with your legs up in the stirrups, getting ready for retrieval. Maybe it means saying to yourself, self, I feel overwhelmed. It's okay that I feel overwhelmed. This world is really hard. I'm going to allow myself to experience this. Then I'm going to bookend it with some gratitude to myself for my bravery and my strength. Because I am facing difficult challenges like we all are. But I am in tune with myself. I'm listening to myself, I'm understanding myself, and I'm expressing compassion to myself. Another option is, recommendation per se, is finding your tribe. Who are your people? A lot of them might be in quarantine. A lot of them might have their own COVID opinions. A lot of them might be parents. But who are the people that you can call and say, I'm not doing well. I have an autoimmune disorder that has caused me a lot of pain recently um, and swelling. And I called my best friend, I actually Marco Poloder. And I was like, I don't want to talk about it, but I have to say this. I'm really struggling. This is really hard to feel trapped in my body. My knees are super swollen. My joints are super swollen. I just feel weary today. How vulnerable is that to speak out into the masses? But 
I know a lot of you are there. Who's your person? Is it your spouse? Is it your mama? Is it your coworker who is also doing IVF? Who is it that you can reach out to? And maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's a coach. I have a great team if you need support. They're the best, y'all. If you're in Tennessee and you need maternal or perinatal mental health support, my team is just extraordinary. We're here. We're here. If you live outside of Tennessee, you can contact me through the Quill Institute too. Get mental health support if you need it. Take time for yourself. Move your body. Get sleep. Don't rely on alcohol. I have a lot of people to you, friends included, who are saying life's just really hard right now. I'm coping with wine. I get that. Just be careful. I'm coping with food. You got to eat, but you don't have to eat your feelings. Okay. If you need support, we're here. Also, find the support in your community. Find the support with the people who you can say, I just need you to go for a walk with me. I just need you to grab a cup of coffee with me. I just need you to come and and sit outside with me when it's not too hot. There are free documents at TennesseeReproductiveTherapy.com. I think it's backslash free resources, something it's on a free resources tab, where if you need additional support, there's a mental health in your monthly cycle guide. There is a supporting uh, infertility guide to give to other people. There's questions for your IVF physician. There's even questions to interview an adoption agency with and a postpartum support plan if that is somewhat thing that you need. Reach out if you need support. Give yourself grace if you need support. This world is hard and I don't see the finish line. Okay. Pace yourself. Take a step out of the race if you meant if you need it. Get some good sleep. Move your body. Put your feet in the grass if it's not too hot out. Middle Tennessee is hot as blazes right now. Allow your trauma to settle. Allow your trauma to settle. Okay. If there's depression and anxiety that come off of that, we're here. I'll be back next week. Y'all probably talking about the same thing. Cause this is not going away. You all are wonderful. I hope that you have a great week. Go out and thrive. Bye y'all.